You're listening to our Voices series, where our church family is eager to hear from the hearts of local pastors in the Seattle area and the Greater Puget Sound as we work together toward gospel saturation. For more information, visit doxa-church.com. Good morning, Doxa. Thank you, Pastor Donald. Uh, my name's Alex. As uh, Donald was just saying, my wife, uh, Jana, and I, we live over in Greenwood, uh, and we serve Redemption Church. I serve as the pastor of preaching and theology there uh, in Green Lake, and uh, it's it's. Fantastic. We've been married uh, for 13 years. Not me and the church. Jana and I have been married for 13 years, though in a different way. I do have a great relationship with the church as well. Uh, my wife and I have been married 13 years. We have two kids, ages seven and six. Our daughter is Tove. She's seven. Our son Jude is six years old, and uh, he went to Sounders camp this week, and it was awesome. It was just awesome. So our house uh, runs strictly on caffeine uh, and the occasional nap if we get one. That's, that's basically life for us as a pastor. My wife's a photographer, right? So like life is busy and messy and great. And so uh, I'm really, really thankful to be here with you this morning Doxa family. Um, I, I want to also say a special thank you uh, to Pastor Jeff, and Donald and Pastor Justin for the invitation to come and be with you today. Uh, I really do love these men. I respect these men. I, I value these men and their work here in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, I can see that God is doing, has done, and is continuing to do great things in and through the power of his spirit, through the lifting up of Jesus and his word as the saints gather together and the mission goes out. It's awesome to be here in the Pacific Northwest, getting to play ball <laughs> it is a lot of fun. So I'm with you today. I'm stoked to talk to you on the subject of the love of God. I asked uh, the pastors, hey guys, what would you got? What do I say? <laughs> they invited me to come preach. And uh, uh, they came back with, well, you wrote a book on the love of God. So um, how about the love of God? <laughs> I was like, great, I love that, all right. Uh, so I wrote a book two years ago called The Reckless Love of God, Experiencing the Personal, Passionate Heart of the Gospel. And so I'm gonna walk through Luke chapter 15. So if you have a Bible or an app, scroll there, however you get there, not in a scroll, uh, but get to St. Luke's Gospel chapter 15 as we look at the love of God. And so while you're getting there, whether this is your first time in church Ever. If this is your very first worship service, welcome to you. Glad you're here. You're going to hear some very crazy things. You might have already heard some crazy things along the way. I'm going to tell you that uh, the Jesus that you've heard about on the History Channel is not just the Jesus of history. He is also the Christ of faith, that he is the Son of God who was born of a virgin, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, literally bodily resurrected from the dead, ascended back into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit into the world, establishing what you're a part of right now called the local church. He inspired the writing of all 66 books of the Bible, and God is redeeming and regenerating people, enemies even, and welcoming them into his family. There's better news too. Not only all that, but we as Christians, again, if you're not a Christian, you're like, good grief, man, you guys are nuts. All right, well, we've already locked the doors, so you're here until this is over. Um, so you're not getting out of here. I'm just kidding. Um, we're going to heaven too. 
And the worst thing that can happen to you, which is death, has already been defeated. So we're going to talk about the love of God, the blazing center of the heart of God, is love for you, whether you find yourself in a state of grace or disgrace this morning. If you've been a Christian for 50 years, I've been a Christian for 21. I'm 37, I grew up in the church, and um, I have yet to meet a Christian anywhere in the world. I grew up in Woodstock, Georgia, the buckle of the Bible Belt, small farm town, and having known Jesus for 21 years and studied Jesus academically and met believers all over the globe, I've never met a Christian that is over-encouraged or over-saturated in the reality that God is love. So if it sounds elementary to you, well, well, we'll work on that because Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so, is the deep end of the theological swimming pool. And it's fantastic. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And so, again, if you don't know who the gospel is for, that's what Christians, what we call this message about the Lord Jesus is the gospel, meaning good news, to bring you a little bit of clarity of who is included in the gospel. I'm just going to stick to my manuscript so I get this. All right. uh, So we get out of here before tomorrow. The gospel is for those who have been crushed by the weight of legalism. It is for those who have tried and tried to earn the favor of God by relentless church attendance, diligent Bible studies, unbroken prayer, and tithing. The gospel is for those who have been content to warm themselves by the fire of God's love, but have never had the faith or the nerve to actually step into the fire and be utterly consumed. The gospel is for those who think that Jesus loves me is elementary, and perhaps you have graduated on to more robust theological, philosophical, sociological, and anthropological endeavors. You might have been to seminary, and it's for you too. The gospel is for those who get baptized or go forward, um, every two or three years in order to secure their salvation because it obviously didn't take last time. If you don't know what going forward means, you didn't grow up in the Southern Baptist Church like me. All right, so, and we can talk about that later when you come forward. All right, so (laughs) the gospel is for those who leave their Bible in the back of their car all week long, closed up in the sun. The gospel is for those who have gone too far and committed the unpardonable sin whatever that may be. The gospel is for the guilt-ridden and the shamed who think they've tapped out all of God's grace and find it amazing that you let them get on this far. The gospel is for the promiscuous, the vagabond, the throwaway, the not good enough, the overachiever, the proud, the insolent, the angry, the forgotten, and the brokenhearted. 
The gospel is also for those who find themselves safe in the arms of Abba, walking closely with Christ, loving his word, empowered by the spirit, and obeying his commands. The gospel is for the busy professor, student, stay-at-home mom, or workaholic. The gospel is for the tired preacher and the even more tired preacher's kid. The gospel's for cage fighters and gamers and athletes. It's for the Christian who knows Jesus as Lord, King, and Christ, but hasn't dared to accept his brotherhood or enter into his most embracing and endearing term for us, the beloved of God. It is for those who have become too familiar with God and lost any sort of reverence for him. It is for those who call God creator, but not Abba. And maybe you're like me, and that word keeps you guessing or makes you blush. It's for those who have relegated and confined God to the outskirts of your mind and have opted to only converse with God when convenient or on holiday or when the unexpected tragedy strikes. The gospel is for black people and white people and brown people and yellow and red and purple. Our daughter Tova <laughs> wishes all of us were, were purple which would be fantastic to see, or any other people that are made in the image of God. The gospel's for the rich. It's for the poor. It's for the middle class. It's for men. It's for women. It's for homosexuals. It's for heterosexuals. It's for the friendless, it's for the divorced, the addict, the cheater, the drunk, the high, the drug dealer, the image obsessed. It's even for the guy that already fell asleep in the middle of this sermon. <laughs> We're just getting started. It's for him too. The gospel is for anyone in this room. You see, the only way into Jesus' choir is to sing off key. And the only way to get into God's family is to acknowledge the fact that you don't deserve to be in it. And the only way to abide in the presence of the Holy Spirit is to accept that you are accepted by God. It's the gospel. It's great news. That's why you're sitting here now. The gospel is God's announcement that he loved you before you repented of your sin. The gospel is that God loved you before you said, I'm sorry. The gospel is God's announcement that he loves you before you came to your senses and said, I need grace. The gospel is God's I love you announcement to the world prior to taking your first communion or prior to 
participating in holy baptism. The gospel is God's love announcement from before time began to his enemies. In love, St. Paul writes, in love he predestined us to become the children of God. So if you want to get hung up on that verse in particular, get hung up on the fact of God loving us. In love. Trip up on that before you trip up on the predestined part. The crazy part of that verse happens to be that this is all done in and out of the very heart of our triune God. Love. God is the happiest being in the universe because at the very center of his heart is someone else. His son. And at the center of Christ's heart was his father. And at the center of the spirit is the Father and the Son. And this is why God's the happiest. And he has invited you into a relationship with himself by grace alone. So that's awesome. So what I just took a few minutes to try to introduce this uh, sermon with is probably the most scandalous thing you'll hear today, that God loves his enemies. And that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And that God did not think Good Friday too high a price. To save each of us. That God's not regretted you for one day, that he's not resented you, and he doesn't wish he could get his money back. That he delights in you. That he cherishes you. That he calls you his own. And that when we're faithless, he remains faithful. That's crazy. It's unlike any other religion in the world. Yeah, all right. So, Luke 15 as you go through Luke 15, if the Bible uses words that show up over and over again in a passage, mark those. Those are important things. So in Luke 15, words like this show up. Joy, rejoice, received, found, repent, celebrate. These are words that show up three times. So let's, let's go through Luke 15 and uh, we'll, we'll see what the Lord has to say to us in his word. Jesus is in the middle of his uh, ministry, his earthly ministry. And he is not fitting into any of the conventional religious ideological boxes for the Son of God, the Messiah, to fit into. A traveling, miracle-working, healing rabbi is not supposed to be hanging out with certain people. There are certain people, yes, it's okay, and then there's other people that are not okay with. Jesus has been pushing the envelope and running with what some would definitely say the wrong crowd. And guess what? Jesus doesn't seem to care what the religious theological nitpicks had to say about him. In fact... He had a few things to say back to them about his choice of friends, which is great. <laughs> so, in Luke 15, we read this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees, which the word Pharisee, by the way, literally means this, religious separatist. Strong word. <laughs> 
the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, so who are the people that are coming near Jesus? One, it's the tax collectors. Tax collectors were those who were born in Israel but were hired by the Roman government to overtax their own people. So they were the most despised of the people in the city, in the neighborhood. If you saw a tax collector, you walk by on the other side of the street. I don't want to talk to him. He's working for Caesar. He's going to take my money. He's going to overtax me. Absolutely despised people in the city. Those guys were drawing near to hear Jesus. And it's not because Jesus was outside somewhere with a picket sign yelling at them. There must have been something about the way Jesus was living that these guys found attractive and even irresistible. Two, it says not just the tax collectors, but the sinners. Now this is, this is a, a bigger word than just what you hear in an average evangelical church that is, yeah, we're all, kind of, we're all sinners, we've all broken the command. No, in first century Israel, the word sinner designated not only a lifestyle, but an actual class, a class of people who excelled in breaking the commandments in unbelievable ways. These people, the sinners, there was the clean and the unclean, the insiders and the outsiders, the righteous and the sinners, the sinners were drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled to themselves saying, this man receives. When you mark that word uh, receives, this man receives, it literally means warmly welcomes. This man warmly welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And you can't miss the importance of table fellowship in the first century. For Jesus, for the Son of God to be sitting with sinners and eating them, eating with them, sent a word and a message to the community that shook them. That's why they're grumbling, going, whoa, 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 you're doing it wrong, Jesus. You're doing the Son of God thing wrong, Jesus. You're eating with the wrong crowd, Jesus. You see, here in, in Bellevue, it's not uncommon to see somebody to come out of a, a, a tower around here. Maybe you've noticed some towers up. Um, we, we see them. Uh, people come out of the tower on their phone, walk straight to a food truck. I'll have the number, whatever. Got it. Thank you. Phone. Back to the cubicle. Scarf it down while on the computer moving along. That's how you eat. <laughs> And it doesn't, and you, and right, we see this. When Jesus is having a meal with sinners, it's a way of communicating warmth, welcome, fellowship, friendship. Their meals were long and drawn out. You ever looked into like uh, Revelation 3? Uh, If anybody invites me in, I'll come in and I'll dine with him and he with me. I'll have a meal with him, which means a long, prolonged time together. I'm going to spend time with you. Or in the Last Supper, you see them all laying on their sides. They, they would spend a long time together. Jesus is in, in, in this mode having meals with sinners, and he's welcoming them. And the Pharisees are watching and going, this guy receives these people. So Jesus decides, would anybody like to hear some stories? I see that we've caused a problem here. I'd like to tell a couple stories. Everybody says, okay, Jesus, carry along, do it. What are you going to say? Well, here you go. First story. So he told this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, 
If he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 religious persons who need no repentance. So Jesus takes a common job of the day, a, a shepherd, and he goes, well, okay, so if you guys are a shepherd, if one of you is a shepherd and you lose a sheep, which one of you, you have 100, doesn't leave the 99 and go get the one? Well, all right. Why, why? Can't he just go get another sheep? No. Not that shepherd. That's my sheep. The one got away, and I've laid claim. I'm responsible for this sheep, and I'm going to save the sheep. That's what I'm going to do. Jesus says, which one of you guys doesn't, doesn't do that? Right, and, and notice how he even sets this story up too. He says that the sheep had gone away and, it, and the sheep had wandered off and it was obviously in a bad state and it's got itself in a mess and it can't walk. The shepherd now picks the sheep up, puts the sheep on the shoulders, doing all the work to bring the sheep back home. Maybe you've heard the gospel before. You're like, oh, that sounds very strangely familiar to the Christian experience. Bingo, right. He carries the sheep home and what's he do? He's not yelling at the sheep, you stupid sheep, why are you? He's not bad-mouthing the sheep, kicking the sheep, resenting the sheep, talking down to the sheep, making fun of the sheep. What does he do? He goes home rejoicing and not only just rejoicing that he found his sheep, he's calling all the neighbors together, let's party. The sheep, he was gone, I've got him. I got him back. I got my sheep. God's like that. What do you think the Pharisees had to say to that story, oh, I don't think I like your story very much, Jesus. <laughs> and you know the sinners must have been leaning in going, that's fantastic. I had no idea God felt like that. He's like, he does. I got another story for you. The woman one, I love this one. This one is just so good. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. There it is. Rejoice. Throw a party. For I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there's more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Maybe you've lost something that means a lot to you. Something of incredible value. And maybe you found it and you know what that experience was like. Do you remember that? We had that experience recently, a few weeks ago. My mom, she was up, uh, we call her Bevy. She was up visiting from Atlanta. And if you ever have the privilege of meeting our mom, she, uh, she's just an absolute saint. <laughs> I don't know any other word. She's just amazing. Um, she doesn't really care about things really at all, just very selfless, happy to go with whatever, we could eat wherever, whatever, just, yeah. But my dad passed away eight years ago, our dad, and she wears the rings, still her wedding rings. And one morning over in Greenwood, she had taken them off and uh, had gotten cleaned up and was out doing some things and she thought she'd put them on the nightstand and went about her day. They went to, she and Jana and the kids were out. They went to Target. They went to the dollar store. They went to Schmetzer's on Aurora, Jude, obviously soccer, right? So they're, they're out. And Bevy doesn't 
realize she doesn't have her rings on. She gets home, she goes, oh my gosh, my rings. I gotta go get those. So he goes to the nightstand. They're not where I thought I'd put them. They're gone. And I'm, the look on her face communicated, this is, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. This is awful. And she even said out loud, she goes, tears starting to come down her face. We're frantically sweeping the house. We're looking everywhere going, oh my gosh, we're calling Target. We're calling Schmetzer's. We're calling the Dollar Tree. We're like, oh my gosh. <sighs> Where are the rings? We're looking and looking, and she said out loud, she goes, Alex, you know I don't care about stuff. It's, stuff is just stuff, but those rings mean so much to me. And in our looking and sweeping and going everywhere, she, she goes into her purse, and lo and behold, they were in her coin purse. And she goes, honest to God, when she found these rings, she literally did this. She just drops her knees. She goes, oh, thank you, Jesus. And she broke into that song, Good, Good Father. You're a good, good father. Crying, oh, God is so good. God is so good. She's the happiest I've ever seen her in her life. Skipping around, thrilled, thrilled, thrilled. I found my ring, the ring that got away. The lady that Jesus is describing is exactly like Bevy in this passage. He says, that's how God acted when he found you. He swept the universe to get all the way under the very last couch cushion to find you down there with all the dirty stuff he found the coin i got you rejoice i'm throwing a party i'm telling my neighbors this is fantastic news that's how god feels about you you not just the person next to you not the guy down the street not just Billy Graham or somebody else traveling the world planting churches in Thailand, you know, the varsity Christians. He feels that way about you. And it's true. And it's real. And if you're stuck in your religion this morning, you say, that's a bit too far. That's a bit over the top. Well, you'll have to take that up with Jesus and St. Paul and the others because it's just what the text is trying to communicate. It's that over the top. And until you're really bathing in the scandal of the gospel. It's hard to call yourself a child of God. You know? So Jesus is like, so that's how the father is. The partying one, the celebrating one, the over the top for you one. So at this point in the day, they're having a meal together and it's getting forever. They're going, okay, these two stories the religious people are going, I don't like these stories very much. The sinners are going, this is, <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> this is really cool. Jesus said, right, you got time for one more? Oh, yeah. All right. He said, well, I'm going to tell you the best story ever. This one's called the prodigal son. <laughs> Brace yourselves, for religious people. <laughs> and so I, that's kind of how I imagine him saying it. I probably didn't say it quite like that. Anyway, here's a doozy. All right, the last one. Verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them came and said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Okay, here's the deal. If you go to a parent prior to them dying and say, give me my inheritance, that's called bad form. That's real bad. That's real bad. So 
So he goes to the father because what is it doing, especially in this first century context? The law said that the father was to divide between the two sons, right? So this is communicating to the father, I don't want you, I just want what I got coming to me. Give me my stuff. I don't need you. I don't want to live with you. I don't need to know you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go do my thing. Give me my stuff. And the father gave him his inheritance. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, so he takes everything, took a journey into a far country. So Jesus is trying to communicate the kids getting far, far, far away from the father. And there squandered his property in reckless living. Anybody here done any reckless living? No, pastor. <laughs> Not a day in my life. Here in the Pacific Northwest, we are known for our morals. No. What on earth could reckless living be? Well, by the end of the parable, you find out he'd been partying and partying and partying and even wasted the inheritance on paying for sex with prostitutes. He got that reckless. Got really out of control. Really out of control. He had no fear of God in his life or respect for himself or anybody else. Absolutely reckless. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So how much did he spend? Everything. Blew the entire inheritance partying. Just partying. Blows the whole thing. Living it up with his friends, with his fair weather friends, with no consequences on the horizon. No thought about his father. He was living in and only for that moment. And then a severe famine struck the land, Jesus says. So it became payday. I'm not ready for this. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to what? To feed pigs. To feed pigs. Jesus is talking to a Jewish community. To have a Jew out there in a foreign Gentile place where the unclean people are feeding pigs. Unbelievable shame. Those sitting at the table and going, oh my gosh. This is absolutely as bad as it gets. And all the Pharisees at the table said, Amen. You reap what you sow. Ungrateful child. Reckless, careless, foolish, right? There you go. Can you imagine what the sinners thought sitting around the table? Going, oh man. <laughs> well, the first two parables were great. But this part of this one stinks. Well, Jesus continues on. But, and all the Pharisees are like, oh. But what? When he came to himself, 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Here he is at rock bottom, and he starts thinking about where he grew up. He's at rock bottom. And by the way, if you're at rock bottom, that's a great place to grab a shovel and dig a little deeper to start building your life. He's at rock bottom. And he starts thinking about his father's servants, employees, workers, and says, what am I doing? What am I doing? Here's what he says. All right, I'll go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I sinned against heaven. Wow, he's he's using, I sinned. I sinned against heaven and before before heaven and and against you. So so he's got this repentant thing down. but But then you see the saddest verse in the Bible, in my opinion. Because so many of us have so much in common with verse 19. Not only am I going to repent, but here's what I'm going to ask for. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Why is that the saddest thing in the world? Why is this the saddest part of the story? Sadder than everything else? Why is this part the most broken part, the saddest part? Here's why. Because everyone wants to work for God. Give me an application. Let me punch a clock. Let me do some religious observances. Let me go through the motions. Let me do something religious. Let me try to earn it. Hire me. Hire me. Hire me. That's every other religion under the sun. Hire me. God is not hiring employees. He's adopting children. You ever wanted to work for God? What do I got to do to work this off? There's no work it off, tip the scale thing. That's called karma or something else. Jesus is introducing this thing called grace. Hire me. He's going to ask the Father to do what he fundamentally cannot and will not do, and that's change his relationship to the child. So, he gets his I'm sorry speech, saddest verse in the Bible, wants to go apply for a job. He arose, here's the best verse in the Bible. Verse 20, came to his father, and while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Okay, hang on. The father sees him a long way off and jumps up and starts running. What do you think the son thought? Oh, no. (laughs) He sees him running. And by the way, older Jewish men didn't run in the first century. Romans do that. Greeks do that. They get prizes, things like that. Older, wise Jewish men don't run. Why is he running? It's a demonstration of becoming undignified because that's what love looks like sometimes. Love keeps no record of wrongs. 
runs to him, and he felt what? Not disgust, not disdain, not, you, you awful kid. What's he do? He feels compassion. And for those of you that have study Bibles, you'll see right there, there's a footnote at the bottom, and it'll say, splucknitzomai, which is just a great word to say. Splucknitzomai. And then next to it, it'll say, guts, bowels, or entrails. Like, whoa, that's nasty. What does guts or bowels or entrails have to do with the Father right here? Well, that's weird. Well, here's what. Hebrews, the Hebrew people, when they said they felt something, they didn't point to their heart. They point to their stomach because it is in the stomach where your deepest emotions arise. Deep passion, deep love, deep anger, deep hatred. When you really feel something, Jesus says, God's gut wrenched over his little boy who had made a complete mess of his life. And the father ran to him. And if you have children and you have a Jesus storybook Bible, actually translates it better than all your English grown-up Bibles. The Jesus storybook Bible says the father fell on his neck and could not stop kissing him. Plows him over in unbelievable love. I missed you so much. I waited for you day after day. I wanted you to come home. I'm so glad you knew that my kindness would bring you here. Could not stop kissing him. You know, that's how God feels about you. You know, that's how God feels about you today. Sure, you might have met Jesus 20 years ago, but he still feels the same way about you that day that he does today. Compassion. You're the apple of my eye. See, I've engraved your names on the palms of my hands, which is a sign not of attack, but a sign of welcome. Hosea 11. When, when Israel was at her worst, what does he say? I remember you, Ephraim, when you were a little boy, I taught you how to walk. I took you up by your little fingers and I taught you how to walk. Jeremiah 30, what does he say? Oh, Ephraim, my darling child, how could I give you up? How could I quit on you? That's how God feels about his children on their worst day. Not because he's downplaying sin, but because he knows their fundamental identity is not rooted in what they did. It's rooted in, 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 in who they are as his child. You see? The world is going to try to give you labels. People will give you labels. Enemies will give you labels. Anybody will give you a label and say, this is you. You did that. And God comes on the scene and says, no, look what I've done. And this is who I've called you. Beloved, accepted, free, chosen. The one I've delighted in. The apple of my eye. Wow. That, see, see, if we were at a Hawks game, you'd paint your face and jump on your feet and be like, yeah. But we're Presbyterian or something in here. That would be the part you go, bow, celebrate. That's how God feels about you when you woke up in that state of disgrace falls on his neck gosh I gotta hurry I've got one minute and 36 seconds and that's not gonna work All right, I'm gonna go I promise and the son said to him father I sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and the father cuts him off he's trying to get his I'm sorry speech out I'm not worthy to be here but the father said to the servants so he points to a worker Hey, you, 
bring quickly the best robe, put it on and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. By the way, if you come home naked from partying, you've partied too hard. (laughs) Find the boy some clothes. Lord. Lord. (laughs) Me. All right. Yeah. And by the way, the ring is probably a family crest. Welcome home. I've missed you. You belong here. Do you know nobody's wandering around in heaven today going, I don't belong here. Everybody in heaven is face to face with the Son of God who loved them and gave himself for them. When you get to heaven, you're gonna feel like I do belong. Not because of my good works, but because I know who I really am that everything he said about me was true. Though I did my darndest to defy that. Man, that's great news. Bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let's eat, celebrate. There it is, celebrate. For this my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and was found and they began to celebrate. The partying, I thought the son had partied enough. Didn't you? And the father's like, let's party. (laughs) Dad. Are you serious? Oh yeah, kill the best calf. Get the big one out here. Let's, let's do it up. Let's party for a week. Pour the best wine. Get the best band in town. Let's strike it up. Why? You were dead. You were gone. It was over. And now you're alive. This, see, this is what you do when death comes undone. When somebody meets Christ, you Come alive, and you start throwing parties, and you start hanging out, and you keep talking about not how bad you were on your worst day, but how good God was to you on your worst day. Then you start striking up bands and partying. Man, this is great, and Jesus is at the center of the whole thing. That's the heart of God, a celebratory, redeeming, forgiving, ransoming, healing Restoring Father. Man. Anybody ever met, has anybody met that Father? That's a great Father. Okay, so, if you listen faster, we'll get out of here. My old pastor used to say that growing up, and I always was like, that's such a corny joke, but I still like it. All right. Now, his older son, so, so here's the end of the story. Right, we think, okay, the father's, and he's like, hold on, Pharisees, I got a part. You're part of this story too, guys. Since you, you know, you're grumbling, I have something to say to you. His older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. Hearing dancing is a real party. Like Irish folk, something or another. They're partying, they're going on. He called one of the servants and says, what do these things mean? What's going on? Did I do something great? Is this a surprise party for me? No, it's not for you. I love that the servant's just going, well, you won't believe this. Your brother? He's come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received, warmly welcomed him back safe and sound. So, This is all a parent really ever wants for a child anyway. To be close, warmly welcomed, and for that child to feel safe and sound. 
So, the older brother, what does he feel? He doesn't go, oh, awesome, my brother's back. Cool, <laughs> great. <laughs> He's done wonders for our family financially. This is, this is great. What does he do? It says he feels anger. He was angry and he refused to go in. He refused to go in. He didn't know how to celebrate. And in fact, he starts getting upset with the father. Why? Look, he answers, Father, look, these many years, I've served you. I've worked for you. I've been your employee. I've been here every day punching the clock. I've worked here. I never disobeyed your command. Really? Okay, well, not once. Yet, you never gave me a young goat. You didn't give me anything to party with with me and my friends. You never threw me a party, and here you are. You know who the scandal in this story is? It's not your son. It's you, Dad. You're the one out of line. Whoa. And just so you know, calling it prodigal son is one thing. But let's be honest. The scandalous one in this story, the one that's out of line and over the top, looks like it's the father. Like, hold on. What do you mean by that? Well, anyone can go wreck their life in reckless living. Hardly a story. Look around. We're in the Northwest. It's everywhere. You know what the scandal is? The over-the-top love of the father for the rebel. The father that would love someone that's put himself in a place of enmity. The father welcomes back now his family. So he says, you, you've not been good to me. And then the father entreats him because God not only wants rebels to repent of rebellion, but religious people to repent of religion. He said, look at this, he says, this son of yours, who he doesn't call him his brother anymore, this son of yours, who devoured your property with prostitutes, he killed a fatted calf for him, and he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, he's found. This is what you do. This is what you do. Come on, man. Can't you come celebrate? And listen, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, if you want to know how near you are to the heart of God, you get a good read on that when you see how you feel toward about God giving grace to one of your enemies. It's one thing for God to give grace to a family member, a friend, someone you've prayed for or cared about for a long time, but our real hearts are put on display when we see an enemy experience that same grace. See how brilliant Jesus is? <laughs> he calls religious people to repent of religion and the rebellious to repent of rebellion and come home and party. That's God's love for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for the good news of Jesus and the gospel. For a compassionate father who has not turned his back on us but has pursued us on our worst day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your compassion. God, thank you that you're a rejoicing, happy, saving God who separates our sins as far as the east is from the west and calls us his own. We pray these things 
In the name of Jesus, our Lord, by and through the Holy Spirit, to you, God our Father. Amen.